This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. This is Cork Today. Cork Today with Patricia Messenger on C103. And a very good Wednesday morning to you as we welcome you along to the programme. We have Bernie and Sadie taking your calls today at 1850-333-103. Anything you want to share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You also, of course, can make contact via text or WhatsApp to 0862-103-103. And let me start with a lovely WhatsApp message that's just in from John Lyon to say, Hi Patricia, would you ever mind calling out the following message on your programme today? It's on behalf of my dad. He would like to thank the Clonakilty Wheelchair Association for all of their kindness and support during what has been a difficult time. They have gone above and beyond and also best wishes to everybody at the Irish Wheelchair Association, particularly all of the Irish wheelchair users thanking you and that's from John Nine. That's a lovely, lovely text and we love to get texts in like that and we love to recognise people who are going that little bit above and beyond and who are really making a difference in the lives of people as we get through this COVID-19 crisis. So please feel free to use the airways here. If somebody has helped you out, maybe on a personal level, a neighbour has gone, you know, above and beyond, or maybe there's a family member, or like in this case, it's the Irish Wheelchair Association, an organisation that very much had to adapt the way they do business in order to get through this COVID crisis and only was it last week the week before we actually featured the work of the Irish Wheelchair Association because all of their centres had closed and what they did and I thought it was lovely to hear it being said they brought the centres to the people instead and they've been doing things in the home and just making sure that wheelchair users are okay and that they're getting through this crisis okay so well done in particular to that branch that's the Clonakilty wheelchair branch and thank you uh, to John for taking time out to contact us uh, this this morning now I want to just refer back to yesterday's programme for a moment yesterday on the programme I think it was Sandy uh, kicked it off with a text in from Sandy who was worried about the number of people in the West Cork area who Sandy he said weren't local people and they stood out because they were they were people with different accents from different parts of the country and from different parts of the world and we were talking in particular people with from the United Kingdom who had travelled to uh, West Cork and indeed people from America who had travelled to West Cork and Sandy was concerned about the people coming in on planes or, or boats and coming into this country and the fear was that some of them may be bringing the virus with them not intentionally but could arrive into an area that doesn't have COVID-19 
and that people are very worried. And I, and I won't say flippantly, but I did say that I thought it was an urban myth that we had these plane loads of tourists uh, coming in. And you hear about people talking about plane loads of tourists coming in. And that's not the case. There are planes coming in, but they're not jam-packed. But that's not to say that tourists are not arriving and that people from other areas are not coming into West Cork, which is very much going against the rules and regulations and restrictions that are in place at the moment that still says you can't travel more than five kilometres from your place of residence. And I mentioned that yesterday and then before the close of the programme we got in some texts and calls in from people very much backing up what Sandy had been saying and people worried in, particularly in the tourist and more rural areas of County Cork that there are outsiders uh, coming in and just fearful these are areas that are COVID free they want to keep it COVID free and they're fearful of what a stranger might bring to their area. Just let me bring you some of the texts that we uh, got in. Olive says I live in Yall and six people arrived to their holiday home. Now the guards did come out but they said they weren't able to tell them to leave. All they could do was advise them to leave and return to their place of residence. They aren't isolating as they've been coming or going all the time. I'm really disappointed with the guards. We are getting stopped all the time and quizzed on what we are doing and the guards don't have the powers to say to these people go back to your place of residence you are breaching the restrictions and then someone else by text says I'm living in the middle of the countryside and yesterday evening while I was out walking for about an hour I was having my walk around my house staying within the five kilometres three camper vans passed my house now there's no beach there's no holiday park there's no wooded area within 5k of my house so where were these people coming from are where were they going to? I also have a son who's living in America and he said last night that a lot of his neighbours are very impressed with how good the restrictions are in this country and they're certainly trying to follow our guidelines as much as possible but then you see something like that people in camper vans who are very obviously breaching the restrictions and someone else said a text in from yesterday saying this was at about half past twelve just past Dunworley Beach about an hour ago I counted over 20 cars it's so maddening what do they think they're doing I was going to ring the guard the barracks I'm really hoping that somebody else rang instead says this text and no I don't know of those 20 cars are they people who were within five kilometres? I don't know, but I'm assuming this texter believes that they're not within five kilometres. And then somebody contacted us to say that they woke on Sunday morning to the American friend who had arrived in a neighbouring house, somebody in America who owns a holiday home, had flown in to England uh, to the UK and then came from the UK because we know there are flights between our, between Cork and the UK and, and Dublin and the UK but got into West Cork that way by flying to the United Kingdom and then coming over which, which was exactly the point that uh, Sandy was making and that Sandy was concerned about. And then you would like to hope and think that when these people, if they are deciding to travel, even though it's against all of the advice but you would hope that when they arrive that they will stay in their home or wherever they're putting down on their form and that they will remain there for 14 days and that they will self-isolate because that's what they're asked to do. But I read in the papers today that a third of people coming into this country are not answering the phones when the officials ring up to to see if they are self-isolating. This came up at the Oireachtas COVID-19 committee meeting yesterday. The Department of Justice officials say 66% of people answered their phones when when they were uh, contacted and 
the officials rang them to make sure that they were isolating at the address that they gave when they entered the country. We do know that since last month, all new arrivals must fill out this passenger location form, which must details detail where they will spend the next 14 days, which is the isolation period. Now, the filling in of that form at the airports and the seaports, the filling in of that form is mandatory. But this is the sting in the tail. The isolation period is not the Department of Health official says that they're still examining making isolation mandatory. Now, it seems there's a load of complex issues involved in that because it's to do with international law and it's to do with domestic law and lots of protocols that have to put in place about mandatory isolation, even though I would straight away say other countries can do it. Other countries can force, can force people make a 14-day isolation period mandatory. So if other countries can get around these complex issues of international law, then surely we can uh, as well. So at the moment, they fill in the forms. That's mandatory, but actually staying in the house isn't. But in fairness to the department, they are making calls. They are backing it up by calling the people and they tell the people when they fill in the forms, you will get calls to make sure that you are at this um, uh, address. Now, again, a problem that I saw straight away when we were talking about these mandatory uh, forms, the phone number that you give. The phone number can either be a mobile number or it can be a landline. In other countries when you fill in a similar form you have to give a landline and you have to be at that landline when the officials ring and they'll ring a couple of times a day uh, in other countries and of course with the landline you have to be there where if it's a mobile sure you can be anywhere on your mobile and saying oh yeah yeah I'm at that uh, address. They do two two checkup calls are made. One is made on the second day after arrival and then they make a follow-up call on the 12th day but it's the fact that many people are giving a mobile number one of the committee members the independent TD Michael McNamara uh, said and do you just ask him are you at the address and the official says yes and they said the vast majority of people say they are at the location that they put on the location form but again you're down to trust and you're hoping that the people are telling uh, the truth but what worries me is a third of the people that they tried to call on the phone number that they gave at the airport didn't answer the call and that to me is a little bit of a worry and we had a further eight deaths of people diagnosed with COVID-19 yesterday and there was 10 new cases uh, confirmed. Now that's the lowest figure since the 11th of March but Dr Tony Houlihan giving caution yesterday um, a bit worried you know that people are going to say oh great you know this COVID-19 sure we, we've, it's nearly gone now at this stage and he cautioned about the overinterpretation of the figures that were given yesterday because he said bearing in mind we're coming off the back of a bank holiday weekend he then started to speak about the Black Lives Matter protest which happened in Dublin at the weekend thousands of people attended that protest at the weekend and of course the fear now is was anybody did anybody have COVID-19 at that event, didn't have symptoms and there's a danger now that will we, will we see a spike in figures in the Dublin area as a direct result of that uh, protest. Tony Houlihan saying now was not the time to organise or to attend such mass gatherings 
due to the risk of transmitting COVID-19. He said people should follow public health advice and exercise their judgment on impromptu mass gatherings. And we do know in this country the mass gatherings have been banned. They've been banned since March as part of the restrictions to try to curb the spread of coronavirus. Now, of the 500 new cases over the past week, a breakdown of those, about half of them occurred in that week and half of them would have been ones that were just being reported late. So about 250 were reported last week and about half of those, so 125, would have been known clusters in care facilities, meat plants and in other locations. So it means a quarter of those new cases, 125, are, are, were picked up in the community and not, not known to be linked to anybody uh, else. And a breakdown of those shows that half of those were aged between 24 and 55 and they were spread across 21 counties because I know yesterday people were saying could we get an actual breakdown of the number of figures for here in Cork I, I mean the when they give the overall figures and they give the percentages we do know that the bulk almost half of all of the COVID-19 cases have been in the Dublin uh, area and then f- in for Cork it's about 6% I think it's about 48% is in, in cases have been in Dublin and in Cork about 6% but we here in Cork had a rise in the figures but the rise was as a direct result of the outbreak in meat plants not as a direct result as an outbreak in the community so I suppose we can take a little bit of comfort from that that we do seem to be very much suppressing it in the county and in the city And that's the way we want to keep it. And that, I think, is why people in West Cork and in East Cork and other tourist areas are worried when they see an increase of people coming from areas outside of Cork. And and I'm not in any way saying anything against Dublin people, but when people get nervous, when they hear people that are new into the area and they've Dublin accents because we know there's a lot of COVID-19 in Dublin. And if you're in an area where you don't have... There hasn't been any COVID-19 and suddenly there's an influx of people from an area that has a lot of COVID-19. You can understand why people get worried and nobody would travel to an area if they had or believed that they had COVID-19. But of course, as we know, with this goddamn awful virus, you can be many, many days with absolutely no symptoms. You can also have COVID-19 and have no symptoms at all. But that doesn't stop you spreading it to other people. And of course, you could go on uh, to spread it to very vulnerable people, which is exactly what you don't want to do. And yesterday on the programme, we spoke about house parties. And I read on English as a piece in the paper today that emergency legislation is being urgently demanded to try to help the Gardaí tackle these lockdown house parties amid fears that they could trigger a new wave of COVID-19 cases. Now we heard yesterday from Catherine Clancy on behalf of residents living around the the city's university precinct precinct, they've urged the government to uh, act. They again lined the streets near UCC for the third day in a row and the residents are doing it. They're trying to highlight their concerns after hundreds of young people attended a spate of house parties in rented properties in the area and of course that is in complete breach of public health uh, guidelines. And you know, listening to Catherine Clancy yesterday saying that they watched the Gardaí, you know, empty out houses and they counted up to 50 young people came out of houses then the Gardaí went away should the young people then moved on to another house somebody else was having a house party the Gardaí had to come back 
empty them out of that house and then move on to another. What a waste of time for the Gardaí as well. And Chief Superintendent Barry uh, MacPolan in the papers today saying the Gardaí have contacted a number of the landlords and that warnings have been relayed to tenants that there will be serious implications for tenancy agreements if Gardaí are called to the properties again. They appeal to the young people involved to uh, be to behave responsibly. Uh, Sergeant MacPolan said they have to respect the rights of the neighbours who are predominantly who are permanently resident in the area and the thing is that many of those residents are elderly people and some have genuine health concerns. Some of these people have almost been locking themselves indoors since COVID-19 started to protect themselves or to protect a family member. And they just are so fearful now that if they pop to the local shops and they happen to bump into one of these young people who may have COVID-19, hopefully they don't, but they're just fearful that they'll pick it up. They themselves will get it or they'll bring it home to a family member. So if emergency legislation is what is needed, then bring in emergency legislation. Because Catherine Clancy uh, yesterday was saying the Gardaí seem to be limited in the powers that they have. I mean, obviously, if it's a noise issue, you know, they can they can do something about a noise uh, complaint. But Catherine Clancy was saying yesterday the guy, they can't enter the property. All they can do is, you know, get the people to, to go out and go away and, you know, move off. But all they seem to be doing as soon as the guy, they are gone, they're coming back again. I mean, I really do think the landlords in the cases here need to act responsibly. None of those young people, they're not in college. Uh, the colleges now would be all finished you know, if we had a normal year, they'd all be gone home. Uh, anyway, there's no reason for young people to be to be in those houses. And by all accounts, they're renting them out cheaply as well. I mean, they've got to question, have to ask why. You know, if somebody comes and says, I want to rent your property on a short term lease, surely the landlords should start to question why, why are they doing it? To me, it's landlords acting a little bit greedy if they think they can make extra money in the summer months. And some of them would have probably lost out on money because tenants uh, left early. But it does come across slightly to me as a little bit of greed and that needs to stop. 1850 333 103 and just one other follow on from yesterday. Somebody was on at the close of the programme wanting to know about the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, wanting to know when was it due and also could we find out when would the bookshops be open so that people could start buying school books for next week. Okay, the back to school Back to school clothing and footwear allowance will be paid the week beginning July the 6th. And if you qualify automatically, you'll get a letter sometime this month. Sometime during the month of June, you'll get a letter to say, yes, you're once again entitled. If nothing has changed from last year and you're automatically entitled to it, you will get uh, a letter. If you haven't received a letter by July the 6th and you think you're entitled to the back to school clothing and footwear allowance, then you're going to need to uh, apply. But wait until July the 6th to see if you will receive one of those letters in the post. Uh, So, it gets paid out then the week beginning on July the 6th and it comes with your normal uh, payment. And then as for when bookshops will reopen, I would assume that some of those bookshops, some of the school bookshops will reopen from next Monday because under phase two, small retail outlets are allowed to reopen, which is next Monday. And uh, all the indications are pointing to phase two will kick in next Monday because the figures certainly have been if are going in the right direction. So it looks like everything that is due to open next Monday as part of phase two will happen and there's even talks there will be some extra 
uh, restrictions lifted from next Monday. But small retail outlets are to uh, open next Monday and most of your school bookshops would be small retail outlets. So I would assume that they will be open for Monday. But the actual payment itself gets paid out the week beginning July the 6th. 1850 333 Thank you to David from East Cork who's just been on to us to say he received a phone call that is uh, purported to be coming from air saying that there was suspicious activity in the area and please press one. He felt it was a recording. He hung up and you did absolutely the right thing. I'm assuming if you'd pressed one you'd have got onto one of these premium lines calls that would have then been a recorded message that would have given you a nice phone bill when your phone bill arrived. Uh, David, thank you but it's, it sounds to me like a new scam and one that I haven't heard of. Please people, be very, very careful when you get an unsolicited call even if it's a call coming from what purports to be a company that you're with just be careful. Now, some of your comments into the programme. Imelda says, I'm a resident uh, living by UCC. Most of the students are using their COVID-19 payment of €350 for beer and cheap rent. And they're coming from outside areas. They certainly are breaking the five kilometre rule for sure. They're not living five kilometres. But Catherine Clancy yesterday was saying that as one, she said they, the residents had witnessed parents dropping them off because I was saying I wanted to their parents know what they were getting up to and she said the parents were actually dropping them off giving them a hug and saying you know have fun that some of them were people who would have gone on J1 visas so should have been in America or people Magaluf parties is what somebody else is calling them people that would have been away on holidays and they're kind of renting a property in the city and using it as if they're on holidays which is just so unfair on the other residents. Now a lot of your texts coming into the programme. Joan says Patricia will social dancing ever come back? It's my only outlet. Looking at the road map Joan to me it would be on the very final phase which is not going to happen until the 10th of August. Now maybe that will change maybe it will change but for now it's certainly looking like the 10th of uh, August and then will we be allowed to dance together? Will you be allowed to be that close to somebody? Will we still have social distancing? It'll be very hard to do a social dance and remain two metres apart. Only time will tell as to what's going to happen with that one. But certainly, Joan, as of now, no talks of social dancing uh, coming back. And thank you to Donald McCarthy who makes an interesting point when one of our listeners was, was saying that they were out yesterday uh, for a walk. They are out for about an hour and three different motorhomes passed them. And this system was making the point there's no beach where she lives there's no caravan park and there's no wooded area and she was wondering where are they coming from where are they going to and what, you know they're on holidays they've got to be outside of their five uh, kilometre restriction and what are they doing and was giving out about it Donald has an interesting point Patricia he said listening to you there about motorhomes on the road I drive my motorhome to work once a week in order to give it a run out. I know five of my friends who do the very same thing. This morning I had it out to get the CVRT test done on it. I get people staring at me all the time as I pass. I'm saying this just to let people know there are a lot of motorhomes on the road they're not people on holidays. And by the way, we're all maintaining and staying within the COVID-19 rules. Thanking you for that. Cause we're all quick. Thank you, Donald, for pointing that out. We're all very quick aren't we, to jump in and assume just because it's a motorhome on the road, those people must be breaching the guidelines and should look at them off on their holidays when nothing could be further from the truth where Parole Donald is actually going to work in his uh, motorhome. And here's a deep frustration and, and almost 
bubbling with anger in this text from a listener saying it is so disheartening to hear you say that there are people coming from America using the UK to come to Ireland either to their holiday homes or to come here on holidays. We have people from North Cork heading out to Fota or people heading to the beach or heading to house parties and yet we've got people in rural areas of North Cork who can't get to the nearest shop or the nearest town without a member from Garda Siakona giving out to them at a checkpoint. We are all here trying to do the right thing. Our children and most of our neighbours' kids haven't been outside their own house or garden since the 12th of March. We feel like we've been, we've been held prisoners in our own area. While others are posting pictures up on social media of having wonderful days out at the beach, etc. Not to mind the cyclists are around. We are seeing them every day, visibly spitting on the roads. We're locked in, Patricia. When can our children go out and about in the cars, even if they can't go out, just to go out for a drive? We're trying to protect our elderly. We're trying to protect our sick. Our sick. It's a pity it's not one rule for all. Uh, the children wouldn't be aware of their friends who are out and about in town, but the town kids seem to be getting out and about, but it's the rural kids that are suffering. Oh, I can really sense your frustration. The only thing, take hope from the fact that phase two kicks in from... Monday. Uh, And from Monday, we'll be able to travel the 20 uh, kilometres. You also will be able to go out to other houses and so will your children. They'll be able to visit. You'll be able to uh, be in groups of four in other people's houses and and the restrictions will move to uh, 20 kilometres. But I certainly can sense your frustration and I know that the National Public Health Emergency Team is considering lifting the ban on playgrounds in some parts of the country and they want to try to ease the burden on the lockdown on children. They are really starting to accept that children are being affected by the lockdown. So as we move into phase two, there are plans to try to do everything that they can to try to help out children because there's a real concern uh, around children, especially children that are very vulnerable, like children with uh, disabilities. So there's talks that playgrounds which were not meant they're not meant to open until June the 29th but it looks like they could reopen in phase two which will be next Monday the 8th of uh, June now they'll be brought forward under the condition that playgrounds will be supervised they'll be cleaned regularly to reduce the chance of the in, the infection spreading also if I can give you a little bit of hope there is talks that some summer camps may go ahead in the coming weeks whether well, that's of any use uh, to your children but certainly from next Monday you will be able to put the children in the car. They will be able to go uh, outside their five uh, kilometres. And for the over 70s from next week, they will be able to invite their grandchildren and others into their home for the first time. Children and adults will be told that if you are visiting older people, you need to wear masks, you need to wear gloves. You, you still can't give granny or granddad a hug. You'll have to stay two metres uh, apart. But that certainly is kicking in from next uh, Monday. And indeed, for all age groups, up to now, you've been able to meet outdoors. But from next Monday, uh, will, people of all ages will be ma- able to meet indoors in groups of four uh, for the uh, first time. You'll be able to meet up with other family members and uh, friends. And that's kicking in from uh, Monday. So I feel your pain. I really do. And can, can I just say to you, well done for abiding by all of the rules and regulations. As frustrating and as difficult as it has been well done, well done, and you've kept you and your family and the vulnerable members of your household, you've kept them all safe. So you can pat yourself on the back uh, for that. And for the people of East Cork, who are, are people of West Cork, should I say, who are worried about people travelling from out 
other areas and coming from other countries in particular. A listener says, I think all we can do here in West Cork is to remain vigilant, keeping to the rules ourselves, especially since visitors are coming from the United Kingdom and they're allowed to travel here. I worry about that because the United Kingdom is the highest rate of coronavirus cases across all of the EU. But the advice from that listener, and it's good advice for everyone themselves, stay vigilant yourself, the good hand hygiene, always making sure that you wash your hands when you come back in from somewhere. Don't touch your face, keep your hands away from your eyes, your nose uh, and your mouth. Wear a mask if you think that's going to give you an extra bit of protection. But that's a good piece of advice. Just do the best that you can do. Keep vigilant yourself and uh, keep you know, keep abiding by all of the rules and regulations. Thank you. That's some of the texts coming into 0862 103 103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Now, Basic Income Ireland, it's the national body for the promotion of a universal basic income in Ireland, has welcomed the recent comments by our own President Michael D. Higgins, who highlighted the need for an income that allows people to live as well as universal basic services. Anne Ryan is Joint Coordinator at Basic Income Ireland and Anne joins me. Good morning to you, Anne. Good morning and, and, and greetings from Kildare. Well, well, well you're very welcome uh, to you. us here in Cork. Now, firstly, can you explain to people how a basic income works? Yes, I'll just sketch it out very briefly. So a basic income is a kind of um, a way of fixing up the cracks and the problems that we have in the current social welfare system. So what it would mean would be that every everybody from cradle to grave would get an automatic uh, allowance, a weekly or a monthly allowance, a cash allowance from the state. Um, It would go to each individual. There wouldn't be any conditions attached to it, so you wouldn't be required to do any particular kind of work or anything. Um, And it would be paid regardless of income that you already had or wealth that you already had. Um, For adults, it would be um, something over a bit more than what current job seekers allowance is so that's currently 203 euros we'd like to see it a little bit more than that and that would be for people between 18 and 65 the pension people of pension age would continue to get the same amount as the pension maybe more we'd like to see that go up as well and child benefit would continue to be paid and top-ups would still be available for people who needed the carer's allowance or disability benefit or any other kind of special needs. They'd apply for those, but the the basic income itself would be automatic. You Once you were registered as a, as a resident in the state, a legal resident, uh, it would automatically be paid to you. You wouldn't, there would be no signing on or anything like that involved. And it's, it's different than a living wage. The living wage is connected with doing a job, yeah. with earning. So there's no, with the basic income, uh, there's no requirement. It's not connected with doing any kind of work. Uh, it doesn't, that doesn't do away with the value of the, having a notion of a living wage because, I mean, most people with the basic income would like to top it up. You know, it would, it would be a modest amount, even say if it was at 250 a week for adults, um, it would be, that's a pretty modest amount. Uh, it would be enough to provide the basic 
financial security, but most people would probably want to top it up. So that whole conversation about the living wage is still very, a valid one. They're, they're kind of complementary topics, mm. if you like. And with the pandemic, Anne, do you think there is a need now more than ever for a basic income? Yes. I mean, I think if you think about it, even if we'd had a basic income in place before the emergency, a lot of the kind of uh, you know, the emergency measures wouldn't have been necessary. Everyone would have been receiving their basic amount. And then, of course, you could put top-ups in place as the situation requires, you know, and the government did very well, really, putting the, the, the COVID €350 Euro payments in place. But nevertheless, a lot of people um, didn't qualify or there was uncertainty or delays. A lot of people fell through the cracks. The thing with the basic income is that nobody falls through the cracks for the basic amount and then they can that can be topped up. You know, they can apply for that to be topped up. So that's just in terms of helping people to cope with the emergency. But also then as we look to the future and trying to rebuild our society and economy in, you know, in a just way and in a fair way for everybody, I think that... Um, the basic income is it's one of the things and we in basic income Ireland we're just a small group of volunteers advocating this we don't think for a moment that it's the only thing that's needed you know mm. um, there are lots of other things needed as well but this basic financial security would help people because the the return to to some kind of new normal whatever that's going to be it's going to be very uneven you know people will go back to work the business might not do well they might find themselves out of work again they um they might get sick or someone close to them might get sick so i think there'll be a lot of uncertainty and a lot of diversity in the way that people return to their their regular working lives and then a lot of people will also see opportunities in their communities say, where they might like to start a business, you know, something new rather than go back to their previous job. Uh, And the the basic income would be a real floor of support under them. It always has been really a support for startups and for for people in self-employment or for people in seasonal work, you know, um, like tourism is taking a terrible, a terrible blow. And of course, the, the different sectors are looking for supports. Uh, I think if you were able to feed money in from the bottom, so to speak, through individuals, that really gives people an awful lot of choice about the kind of things that they want to do and how to cope and to be flexible in the kind of decisions that they're going to make as we as we come through the pandemic. And has this concept of a basic in, in, income been tried in other countries? And, and if so, with what results? Uh, yes, there, there's nobody, no country has put a complete basic income in place for the entire population. But there have been several pilots and trials. Um, there was one most, the most recent one that's got a lot of publicity uh, was in Finland. They had a two-year trial. Now, they had only 2,000 people there with um, who had been long-term unemployed uh, already. Um, so they got an unconditional, just the same amount, but without any conditions attached for two years. And they, the, um, they're, they're the control group then was the ord to say the people who were receiving the same amount, but with all the conditions attached that they had to be actively seeking work and they had to be following training courses and so on. So the um, results are coming out from that. They collected a lot of data um, there was the people. There was a slight increase in the, for the the two thousand people who got it in the way they participated in the labour force, even though there weren't any conditions attached. You know, they did take up 
um, a little bit more work than the control group. Uh, but one of the things that they also reported very strongly was um, a great improvement, a, a lack of stress in their lives and therefore a kind of improvement in their mental health because they had this absolutely unconditional payment coming in. Even though it was small, they knew they could budget and they could make plans based on it. Uh, and that that um, resulted in greatly improved mental health. And wow. I think that's very very current topic for us in Ireland Absolute, as well. A- absolutely. And there was also great support for this right across Europe, isn't there? I mean, a, a lot of Europeans like the idea of a yes. basic income. Um, during March, um, the Oxford Research Group did some research uh, with 12,000 citizens in the European Union and 71% of them uh, expressed support for a basic income as I've been describing it here. Um, and the interesting thing too was that was the support was equally strong across the age groups in that. So, you know, older people can really see the benefit uh, of of a basic income for younger people. Like I have a very, I'm a pensioner, I'm on a very modest pension, but to me that's like a basic income. And that has been wonderful for me in the pandemic times, you know, because I know it's coming in every week. And I think a lot of older people can see the benefit of that to the younger people now who are facing so much uncertainty you know, we're around their 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 futures really. Um, that it just alleviates a lot of the the stress and the worry. Because I suppose you need to remember that everybody in your house, every adult in your household would have it, uh, and every every adult in your community would have it. So you know, it would put a bit of a, a like it's like a shock absorber, and also. Um, it helps people to be creative and it kind of unleashes their talents when, when they have that. So I think um, I think that was an interesting piece of research. Mm. Obviously, it's only 12,000 people. It would be lovely to see something um, done in Ireland. There was, about two years ago, a European, uh, European social survey did find good support for it in Ireland. But I think... A lot of the problem is that people don't know about it. Yeah, know? but I but I can already see some questions coming in from listeners saying, as a country, could we afford this? The the, the short answer is absolutely yes, we can afford it because uh, for a start, a lot um, the the payment would replace um, the core social welfare payments, okay. so job seekers and sick benefits, statutory sick pay. That money's already in the system. It would also replace the tax credits that people get when they're earning. So that money is already in the system. There would need to be some adjustments in the tax system. That doesn't always have to be income tax. You know, it could be more in the form of wealth taxes. Uh, But even if you've increased income tax, people tend to forget, oh, but the increased tax is being offset by the basic income that's being received. So the net amount to people is the same, but yet they have the added security. Now, I suppose you could say, well, we're going into a recession. Mm. And, you know, Minister Donoghue has been, you know, talking a lot lately about how there are going to have to be cuts and I suppose trying to prepare the population for that. But they're very political decisions. And I think the signals, all the signals that are coming from the European Union are very positive about how governments should um, both get, should, grants should be issued by the European Commission. Governments should also borrow at the really, really low interest rates that are net there now. And that the main thing that's about that is that the money is wisely spent to both to support the populations and also as an investment in the future. So when people talk about the cost, Yes, there is a cost involved, but I think it's important to see it as an investment. And when you, an investment really means 
if we spend some money now, we get a return on it in the future. So it's an investment in our society and in our people. And I think we need to look at it like that um, when we talk about the affordability of it. Okay. And were you uh, particularly proud and thrilled uh, to hear our own uh, president call for an income that allows everybody to live? We were delighted because, in fact, until quite recently, President Higgins has only talked about universal basic services and he hasn't mentioned basic income. But we think that they really go together. You know, one without the other really is, you know, there's something lacking there because the basic services are really, really important. Education, health, transport and so on. But the actual piece of income gives people a huge amount of freedom to make decisions for themselves. So we're very pleased that that. Uh, Michael D was asking for that. Okay, listen, we leave it there. No doubt we'll discuss this issue again. And in the meantime, thank you for that and thanks for joining us on the programme. Thank you very much, Patricia. Good morning to you. Bye-bye. That is Anne Ryan, who is Joint Coordinator for the group called Basic Income Ireland. Now, some reaction to my interview with um, Anne Ryan, who is with this group called Basic Income uh, Ireland. And the idea would be that everybody in this country... uh, children and adults would receive a basic income and the idea would be that I mean as President Michael D. Higgins uh, said during his interview last week it's an income that allows people to live so everybody would get this basic income and then it's up to people if they want to work or not Okay, Uh, Some reaction on it I have to say a lot of very negative reaction on it Madge says the idea of a basic income for everyone uh, irrespective of income is absolutely crackers says uh, Madge Uh, Jerry says where in the name of God does Anne think that kind of money will come from we will end up with nothing but wasters in this country it's not but communism while Jill says I think the idea of a basic income is bonkers mental illness and obesity will be on the rise with people sitting around doing nothing but I think the the basic income isn't saying that people wouldn't work people would still work you get your basic income and then it's up to you if you want to work or not but Jill reckons it would force people just to stay at home and, and do nothing the basic income itself would be around sort of around what the job seekers is at the moment which is a little over uh, 200 uh, euro so I, I don't know how many people are getting obese on 200 euro but anyway Jill certainly not in favour of it and Mick in Mallow says if you want to do something about disposable income Mick feels we should wipe out mortgages wipe out everybody's mortgage the country would be flying people would have lots of disposable income then says at Mick 1850 some of the reaction coming in to Anne as I say not certainly those people not in favour of a basic income. Okay, other issues coming in. Melissa Mallow's in a bit of a bind. Can anybody suggest what she can do? She's only cold water in her house and that's been since last Saturday. She's living in council property. She's contacted the council and they say they won't be able to send anybody out until Friday. I think that's to do with the lack of plumbers that's available uh, to the uh, council. Uh, Anybody, any solutions as to how Melissa and Mallow can sort out the issue with her only cold water, hot water not working? And the plumber from the council can't come until uh, Friday. Okay, lots of questions coming in for Peter Dowdle. Can you keep those coming in, please? Peter will be joining us after 12 o'clock, after about half past 12 uh, today. Uh, Dick says, this is on the house parties that we were talking about earlier and and we were talking about it yesterday, but it it followed on again uh, today. Where are all the extra... Oh, yeah, it's to do with house parties and it's to do with the people coming into this country from other countries, particularly people coming in from the United Kingdom or people coming in from America via the United Kingdom 
and we were talking about that when they arrive into this country it is now mandatory that they must fill in a form. The form must state where they're going to be spending their 14 day isolation period. It also has to have a telephone number. The Somebody from the Department of, is it the Department of Health? I don't quite know who, who checks up on them but anyway officials call them in the, they get two calls they get one call on day two to make sure that they are at the property that they stated on the address and then they get a second call on the 12th day of the 14 day isolation but during a discussion of the Oireachtas COVID-19 committee meeting yesterday Department of Justice, it's the Department of Justice do it uh, they said that uh, about a third of people don't answer the phone the phone number they gave, it's either disconnected or it was a wrong number or they simply just don't bother don't bother answering. So for a third of the people who've arrived into this country, they don't know if they have stayed at the property that they say that they will stay at. Dick says, where are all the extra Gardaí that got, in inverted commas, passed out quickly? Get them to do the check on those people who are supposed to be self-isolating. But you see, the problem is the filling in of the forms, Dick, is compulsory. But it isn't mandatory to self-isolate. And that's what they're now saying do we need to put legislation in in place? We're told there are complex issues of international and domestic law surrounding mandatory isolation periods. But as I mentioned earlier, if other countries can do it, they obviously can get around international laws. Why can't we? I think we may need legislation on this one. But as of now, it isn't mandatory. They're asking people to do it. And in fairness, I think the majority of people do do it. Certainly anyone that's come back into this country, the many tens of thousands of people who re- repatriated and came home when COVID-19 started. I mean, we saw great scenes at the airport of people being collected by parents or siblings or family members collected them at the airport and they weren't even hugging each other. They knew that the person had to get into the car, get home as quickly as possible and then self-isolate for 14 days. And we, in fact, we spoke to some of them on this programme who were self-isolation. So I think in the main, people are trying to do their best, but we can't force people to do it. I would worry about somebody who's coming on a holiday. You're hardly going to self-isolate for two weeks if you're only over here on a set period of time for a holiday. And that, that would be certainly my concern on it. OK, other texts and coming in to us. Veronica says, Patricia, I'm listening about all of the younger people who seem to be meeting up in huge numbers. Well, I was cycling in Monkstown yesterday and there was at least 40 youngsters jumping off the pier. Now, as nice as it was, I can honestly say there was no social distancing going on whatsoever. Then I spotted two members of Angarda Shikona walking around, but they just left them there. They didn't go over, they didn't tell them that they should be social distancing. Am I wrong in being cross? I simply don't know anymore, says Veronica. But I, yeah, people get very annoyed when they see what others are doing. But I suppose I think that great text that came in from somebody in West Cork earlier, while people can get annoyed at what other people are doing, what we all need to do ourselves is to remain vigilant. While, you know, we can't allow for stupidity and, you know, people... The majority of us, I think, will, will abide by the rules and regulations, but there'll always be a cohort who uh, won't. So I think, Veronica, the whole thing is to keep yourself and your loved ones as safe as uh, you can. I mentioned social distancing uh, or social dancing earlier. Somebody was saying, when will, Joan was saying, when will that come back? It's our only outlet. Somebody says, hi Trish, I think social dancing will return, but it'll be from a distance. <laughs> I'm a bit perplexed as to how you can do social dancing from a distance, but somebody is quite confident that it will come back. On 
protests that we mentioned and our people are, are worried and I know Dr Tony Hulhan is worried by the Black Lives Matter parade that was held in Dublin at the weekend and there was thousands of people and certainly social distancing wasn't going on and he's concerned uh, about that and he's saying you know mass gatherings were not the restrictions say that we shouldn't be gathering uh, we shouldn't be having mass gatherings even though he said he doesn't know if he could quite give advice on uh, protests but there are concerns certainly when Tony Hulhan gets worried and the other health professionals get worried. We all need to get worried. Somebody and then somebody sent in a te- M sent in a text. And Patricia, what about people? Bef- people before profit. People for profit. They're organising more protests for Cork and Limerick next uh, week, and surely that is going against medical advice. We're listening to Tony Hulahan, yes, but he said it's up to individuals to know what is the right and the wrong thing uh, to do. But actually, if they if when you say people for profit, I I don't know the or, the exact organisation you're talking about, but I know the group that organised the Black Lives Matter in Dublin. There's talks in the papers today that they could be prosecuted for organising that protest. So that's kind of a one that will, I think, have, if they are prosecuted, that will have an effect, I think, on other people who that may deter other people from trying to organise uh, protests. And on new people coming into an area and how do you know maybe do they always live in the area? Maybe you just don't know them, even I think in rural areas, everybody knows everybody. But somebody says, Patricia, when you see somebody stopping and looking up at a signpost in your area, you know for sure that they're not from that area. And someone else says, Patricia, what about the shops that have opened already and should not be opened already? Who's checking up on uh, them? I, I don't know if, if anybody is. And just to find one on the universal basic income in this bunch from Dennis to say, Patricia, ah, yes. Universal basic income, a new way of increasing inflation and driving up the price of renting and a tax take. A controlled version of quantitative easing would make much more sense considering when the living wage was calculated in 2014, it was set at €11.45 per hour. And if rents have increased at the same pace as other living costs, the living wage in 2019 would be lower than the 2014 rate. What we really need is real rent control and social housing says Dennis. That's what we need to help people out. 1850 Just other issues coming in. Catherine says uh, Hi Patricia, how did you get on with your laburnum tree? I have the same problem. I'm losing my laburnum tree. I had a tree expert in and it has to come down. It hasn't come down yet but I'm just waiting on them to come back and, and take it down. I lost it unfortunately. It just it got, it got too top heavy. It was my own fault and we should have trimmed the top of it last year but it was magnificent last year. I was only looking back at the photographs uh, during the week of the tree last year and it was gorgeous this year as well but I should have cut off the top of it and that's what made it top heavy and therefore it blew over. It's it's the it's shallow rooted or something, laburnum trees are. And when I actually asked Peter Dowdell last Wednesday on the programme, he said, Yeah, it's a problem with them. And when they get uprooted like that, there's no saving them, unfortunately. A lesson learnt. Uh, thanks for your text, Catherine. Carol says, Hi Patricia, at the Carers Grant, the Respite Grant, is that being issued tomorrow, which is the first Thursday of June? Could you find out to all receiving carers allowance? receive it please. Yes, the Carers Grant, grant which is €1,700 uh, every year. It is paid out first Tuesday in June. So I think people get you get it with your normal payment. OK, who is it paid to? It's an annual payment. It's made to carers who get carers allowance carers benefit or if you get domiciliary carers allowance which is paid to under 16s you also receive it. It's also paid to certain other carers but who are providing full time care. Um, and that's for carers who may 
not qualify because we know how strict the means testing is to qualify for carers allowance or carers benefit but if you are full time caring and even though you might not qualify for the carers allowance or carers benefit you are, you're still entitled to the carers support grant the respite grant I think as it's more commonly known as you're still entitled uh, to that but you must be full time caring and there's a limit on the amount of hours you can work outside of the home I think moment to question I think it's 19 hours but if you are or if you're working 19 hours or less and then you're doing full-time caring, then yes, you are entitled to that grant as well. So €1,700 and yes, it does get paid out tomorrow, the first Thursday in uh, June. And John in Blackpool is wondering... Well, I did an interview back on the 21st of April with Paddy Connolly of Alone. Is it Paddy with Alone? About the Hardship Fund. Do you remember the Hardship Fund that they set up? Oh, was, sorry, Paddy Connolly's with Age Action. My apologies. It was a Hardship Fund that was set up. But I think it was being administered by Age Action. I think it was funded though by the Red uh, Cross and I remember in particular it was a great scheme and it was to help people who were feeling isolated at the time and cocooning had just started and all of that and you know they spoke about things like if maybe an older person needed uh, an iPad so that they could communicate with people maybe they needed their phone upgraded to a smartphone if you could you needed to apply for something that you feel would genuinely help the older person you could apply on behalf of somebody else or the older person could apply themselves well uh, John in Blackpool applied for that hardship fund so he applied and posted on the 23rd of April and we are now at the 3rd of June and he hasn't heard a thing back he's wondering did anybody receive the hardship fund on behalf of Age Action and the Red Cross now what I'll do is I'll get um, Bernie to send an email off to Age Action just to see what has happened. I know there was a huge number of people applied and I know we were saying to people to please only apply if you had a genuine reason for it because we wanted to make sure because it wasn't a bottomless pit. It was the Red Cross that came up with the money and obviously it's coming out of their fundraise money and it wasn't a bottomless pit. They didn't have a blank checkbook and we wanted to make sure that those most in need received uh, the money. So what I'll do is I'll ask Bernie to send an email off to Age Action just to find out have they administered all the money under that hardship uh, fund and how much have they administered. And maybe we'll do a follow up and find out what ki- what type of things did people apply for. We might, we might ask them about that uh, as well. But in the meantime, just to see what has anybody locally, did anybody locally receive, don't need to know how much you received, but maybe just send me a quick text or phone the girls and just let us know if you applied for the hardship fund, what you know, what did you buy out of it? What, what what did you apply for, and did you receive it? Just to so we can pass the information on to John while we are awaiting information back from Age Action and the Mill Street listener says, "Morning, Patricia. I wonder is there any update on the." Places like the Cope Foundation, St. Joseph's Foundation, Coaction in West Cork, in Able Ireland, that provide Monday to Friday residential and our daycare services. Is there any word on them opening? Are they on the roadmap yet? Again, they seem to be the forgotten vulnerable, thanking you, says the Mill Street listener. They're not specifically mentioned anywhere in the roadmap because it's something obviously that's very close to my own heart and when when the roadmap first came out I went through it in a fine tooth comb to see if I could find anything about disability services and it's it's not mentioned uh, anywhere in it. So you assume from that it reopens at the end the last phase which would be the 10th of August when everything else is then allowed to uh, reopen. Will those services reopen on the 10th of August? 
I don't think they'll reopen the way they closed. I think they will be a very different service will be offered. Will it be a part-time service to reduce at the numbers? And I'm assuming all of those organisations are frantically working on trying to reopen and seeing what they can do. But with social distancing and, and all of that, I, I my gut instinct tells me that they won't just suddenly reopen on the 10th of August the way they closed back in March. Uh, but only time will tell. Only, And it will depend, I suppose, on the service. And I'm assuming you have a family member attending one, one of the services. But they need to do something. They need to, I was only watching on the news for the children in the special needs schools that have closed. My God, so many of those kids are really regressing. Only yesterday, I don't know if this mystery listener was tuned our way yesterday, I spoke with Catherine Cox of Family Carers Ireland. And they had done... A, quite an intensive online survey with some of their members and they are the people who are looking after their loved ones who go to the residential or the day centres and who go to the special needs schools and they were talking about just how difficult it is and how children are regressing how there's challenging behaviour uh, going on and, and you know but there's no certainly there's no word coming out as to what's going to happen or when. I think that's the important one for a lot of people is is a date. Does anybody know? But looking at the roadmap, no, they're certainly not individually mentioned in the roadmap. But looking at the what the government and what Neffet are talking about, the, I mean, they're already talking about trying to lift restrictions for children, you know, like parks and that, and play parks, it's because they're... they're they're accepting that the effect lockdown can have on children uh, but they're also very much highlighting children with disabilities and children with intellectual disabilities and there is a need that something needs to be done so I think if they're focusing on on the children the next obvious one is to t- focus on the adults who are you are right we keep talking about they seem to be the forgotten uh, people in our society we will keep banging on about about I promise you that we won't have them forgotten for sure 1850 Bernie and Sadie are taking your course you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 C103 Jobs A person is wanted for a part-time position it's in a North Cork office excellent computer skills and ability to work on your own initiative is essential please qualified mechanic with a good knowledge of mechanics and electrics wanted it's for the West Cork area spray painter wanted that's in Mallow and West Cork West Co Windows. They're looking for window fitters. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850 333 103. Yesterday I spoke with Niall Healy, who's Director of Services with Cork County Council, who outlined the plan to help kickstart the economy of our county towns through the Act project. The town of Kinsale is turning its attention to recovery and they've launched the Kinsale Comeback Campaign. Band and Kinsale Councillor Marie O'Sullivan, who runs a cafe in Kinsale, uh, joins me. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Patricia. Uh, you're very welcome to the programme. Now, uh, we spoke yesterday with Niall about the streetscape changing. And When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. They will change in many of our towns. Do you believe that that has to allow for outside dining? Uh, absolutely, Patricia, because really businesses are facing real and acute challenges uh, when they're reopening. And time is of the essence. And not in the sight of many of the businesses looking after this post-COVID. Um, I think the local authority has a significant role to play in this. And as they are doing, they're getting a plan of action, you know, with a strong local policy ready, uh, up and running. Social distancing is going to be with us for some time. And so new ideas need to be debated on how to allow businesses to reopen and operate that make them financially viable to operate, you know. And uh, Cork County Council, I think, are being very innovative in terms of helping businesses. And especially, I think, the fact that they have brought in this town team plan where they have brought people from businesses, uh, age-friendly town representatives, both in Bandit and Kinsale, Tidy Towns representatives. So they are looking at all the stakeholders and it's, you know, moving forward with everyone together. Yeah, I think these town teams is, is a terrific idea. By the way, are you on, are you on a hands-free phone, no? I know, I'm on, I'm on, I'm, yeah. Yeah, no, it's just that they, you sound a bit distant if you want to just pick oh, up yeah, the my, phone. I my headphones on, that's my problem. Oh, do you? Yeah, do, yeah. It, just, it just sounds a little bit distant. Okay, okay. What, what is your opinion of the, the street pods, uh, Marie? I was reading about this in, in the paper. It can seat up to six people uh, for food and drinks. And, and I believe it's, it's a local architect who's come up with this idea for Kinsale. It, it is. It's, it's Mark O'Rean and it's Brian O'Regan. It's, it's making them look... I admire anybody who outside the box yeah. but probably Patricia at the moment with the whole COVID thing I don't know if they're very practical because when we're looking at, at hygiene and disinfecting areas it would be very difficult to do that with the pods at the moment and I think they could be very for example in a, an urban area which would have a big plaza or square that you could put them on but for a quick fix at the moment I don't think they would work very well and as well as that, I think like everything else, there's a lot of compliance issues as regards, you know, insurance, health and safety and other issues that are always regarding anything that's out of the box. I know, I know, I know, you know. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, it may, I know I saw it. I'm sure they were operating in one of the Scandinavian countries. Uh, I saw them. They, they, they were like a glass yeah. prospect one. But I know one of the big things was they had to be deep cleaned that's between each 
couple or group of six uh, that went into them. Talk to me, Marie, about your own cafe. You've managed to stay open with takeaway, have you? We we just opened a week ago. Um, How's it going? Ah, it's completely different. Uh, You're nervous. You're very nervous. You know, when we open the door first, you think, is anybody going to come in? How are we going to operate this? You know, it's very strange when I'm a business that works an awful lot with the locals. So it's very much the social interaction here will be part of my business. So, you know, people come in the door, they see the uh, tables there, there's no chairs, stickers are on the floor, I'm inside a perfect flat. It's not my way of doing business. And like a lot of the people, I think it's going to take a while for their confidence to come back to come out and even get takeaways. You know, it's it's a totally different way of doing business, you know, and I'm just looking forward to the 29th of June when we can open our doors as normal again, even though we have to fight social distancing and operate within the new COVID regulations. But at least there's a social aspect for people, which I think I see a lot of my elderly customers, I've, you know, called some of them, and I think they're lacking social interaction, mm. which is a huge problem out there. And it's actually worrying. Yeah, it's hard for somebody to come into your cafe and you have to say to them, there's your coffee, but you can't sit down and enjoy exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. that's harsh. That is harsh. Like, I had a table outside the door, which I've had outside my door for the past 10 years, right? One table, two chairs. Yeah. And I had to bring it in last week because I didn't actually realise I was bringing the law, but with the new cold regulations, I was. Oh, I know. and Because I, I know yesterday uh, somebody contacted us about, I think it was yeah. a garage in Bandon had put a little table and chairs outside yeah. and there was elderly people sitting down and they got moved on and the table and chairs had to be, it's just really difficult. It's really yeah. difficult. Yeah. But Kinsale Marie is, you know, a big tourist destination. Are you hoping of saving some of this year's tourism season? Look, I think the Kinsale Chamber has an excellent comeback campaign. Um, you know, it's a very progressive going forward and look this year we're all looking at domestic tourism you know Kinsale has, has been very lucky that it's always been a day trip location for many of our you know people from the city and all over the county so I think more so than ever we are looking towards of, of local tourism to come and support us this year and when the COVID um, limits will be listed you know you'll have overnight stays once the hotels and bed and breakfast can be open yeah, and you know, I'm I'm really staying very positive about staycations and uh, people and the and the tourism uh, trade this year because I think you know the majority of us are just have made the decision we're not leaving the country. We're, you know, people are too nervous even yeah. when flights do reopen, uh, and people will want to break. People will want to get away because we're all sick of the lockdown. Totally, I think you know it's getting to the stage where people we've all got a bit of cabin fever, yeah. and it's it's a lack of, of social interaction. It's, um, you know, you just, when you're meeting people on walks, you know, and I mean, just random people, people, you're actually talking to people that you probably wouldn't have like, engaged in conversation with before. Yeah. <laughs> Desperate for a bit of news. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tell us anything. And there's so many birthdays and anniversaries and special occasions have been missed this year that yeah, we need absolutely. to celebrate. We need to get back meeting people and celebrate those events that happened in March and April and May that we weren't able to celebrate. Absolutely. And this, I used to be to say there is an excellent COVID group here which was spearheaded by Neil uh, O'Connor's McKinsale Advertiser and all good food circle restaurants have been absolutely superb in that they have prepared meals twice a week 
for people cocooning, elderly people on their own, um, anybody who was being, we say, left out of it, and they have, we deliver the food uh, two days a week, and they have the care pack delivered. So I think, in one way, COVID has brought us the best in people. Mm. And I think as a race, we can be very, very proud of ourselves because it's shown us again who we are. And sometimes we need to take a step back and think about things. And you certainly have done it, I think. Yeah, yeah, you're, 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 you are so right. Um, but are you fearful that some businesses will simply not survive this crisis, Marie? Look, I'm hopeful. I think, you know, we're all going to help each other. And I think, look, the Gardaí are engaging with the council who are engaging with our engineers, our engineers here in Kinsale and in Bandon are willing to let people work outside their premises, especially the cafes and that don't have the scope inside to operate social distancing. So during the summer months, they'll be able to operate outside the curtains of their premises. And that's very important. And there's a, there's a big plan being drawn up by all the stakeholders involved there to do that. Okay, and let's hope the weather stays fine because exactly. that certainly exactly. made lockdown a little bit easier. Listen, yeah. Marie, we leave it there. Good luck with your opening of the cafe. You're reopening on, on the 29th. And thanks a million for joining us you today. Oh, we will indeed. You look <laughs> after right. yourself. Stay safe. You. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Councillor Marie O'Sullivan uh, joining us from Kinsale. 1850 333 Bernie and uh, Sadie are taking your calls today. You can text to WhatsApp 0862 103. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Cork Today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086-2103-103. Now at the end of March, a goodwill initiative founded by two professional coaches was set up to reach out to frontline workers. To chat to me about an initiative which is called Connect a Coach is one of the founders and that's Alva Harrington. Uh, good morning to Alva. Hi, Patricia. Uh, you're, you're welcome to the phone. Congratulations, by the way, on, on setting this up. It, it really is terrific. Is your aim to reach out to frontline workers before they hit burnout? Well, ideally, yes. Um, ideally, that they would come and connect with the coach and be able to have a space to be able to talk through what's been going on for them and, you know, sort of challenges that they've been facing and in ways to be able to kind of reground themselves to be able to kind of go back out and work but. Our experience has been that um, for a lot of people, they've been in survival mode to start with, in crisis mode, um, um, and responding. And it's only now that I think it's beginning to really hit, the, uh, you know, I need a space to process what's been going on. And, it, uh, you know, that's most definitely for frontline staff. But I think potentially for, for lots of people, that's the reality. Mm-hmm. I, I would even say it for myself, because we were in that crisis response, set it up, set set the whole thing up, get it going. And it's only now I'm kind of going, oh, what has been going on the last 10 weeks? It's when when you take a breath, you realise, whoa. Yeah, yeah. But does it take a lot of courage to reach out and say, I I need help here? I think it does. I think think for any of us to acknowledge to ourselves our vulnerability, which I've learned is a strength. But I think for a lot of people, we think that that's a sign of weakness or... Uh, you know, it's it's a sign that we don't cope so well, but in actual fact, it's a strength to be able to say, you know, I need I need a space. I need somebody who will hold that space, listen to me, help me to work through what I'm feeling, to connect with my heart, to get clearer in my head about what I'm thinking about things so I can access, you know, my strengths and be able to kind of keep taking steps forward and managing 
you know, the challenges that I still have to face, I still have to deal with because, you know, our, our, our current reality is not going away anytime soon. Um, you know, we're still going to have to manage social distance. Frontline staff are still going to have to do that. They're still um, having to work in very different ways than they ever have worked before. Explain to us how coaching works and how does it differ from counselling and what happens at a typical session if there is such a thing as a typical session? Well, with Connect to Coach, what we're offering is that somebody can access four 45-minute sessions um, and all they have to do is literally go on to connecttocoach.org. They go, they have a number of coaches there. They can click on a coach immediately. They'll get their calendar. They can book a session um, and Coaches are available between seven in the morning and nine at night, seven days a week. So you're really conscious of kind of providing enough opportunity for people who are doing shift work. With the coaching session, I mean, possibly the most useful thing for me to do, uh, Patricia, is to read out a uh, a testimonial from somebody who accessed Connector Coach and is a social worker. Um, And um, her testimonial says, thank you so much for our session. It felt very reassuring speaking with you. I was thinking, how could someone who didn't know me help me when I hardly know myself? But it was great, and I couldn't have been more wrong. Um, I know there is no magic bullet out there, but you made me feel focused and positive. So coaching enables somebody to really begin to have a conversation with themselves. Um, You know, I think to myself, you know, when I go and access coaching, my head sometimes feels like it's a little bit like a ball of wool that's in a mess and I need somebody to help me to unravel it and to think more clearly about things. And it also helps us to be able to connect in and really understand what is it that I'm feeling? What is it that I'm experiencing in my current day-to-day life? And then being able to access our own courage uh, to be able to take the steps forward, to make whatever changes we want to make, to potentially see things from a different perspective, to go about our lives in a different way. Um, so, you know, I, I love the analogy in ways it's a little bit like on the plane where they tell you, you know, you've got to put the oxygen mask on first before yeah. you can help anybody else. And that's yeah. exactly for me, you know, when I access coaching for myself. And what's different to counselling is that very much, and we're very, all of the coaches have been trained in psychological first aid through the HSC, and very aware of all the uh, referral points in terms of employee assistance program for people to go and access counselling if they need it. Um, So where coaching differs to counselling is that it's not about going back into the past, into, you know, past wounds, past stuff, which could and can potentially through... uh, the current reality has been triggered for people where they may have been dealing with uh, death in a different way than before, which may trigger stuff for them that they haven't resolved, they need to go back and they need to resolve. If they've gone through trauma and um, in terms of dealing with things as well, they may well need then to access counselling. So coaching is about helping to work with people in the here and now and helping them to look forward. Okay. Um, That's well, well explained. And who do you deem a frontline worker? Very much uh, anybody who's in the health and kind of care side, so nurses, doctors, uh, people who are working care in the community, carers at home, um, frontline responders, um, guards, um, uh, we've even like funeral directors are under a huge amount of pressure, Mm. uh, clergy, um, 
people who are working in direct provision, who are working in care homes for disabled, intellectual disabilities, people who are really caring for people where they're on the front line. Um, uh, so why you've, you've, you're covering, there's a wide remit uh, there. And what response have you been getting, Alva? Yeah, we've um, already had 200 sessions have well. covered, um, um, and that is actually increasing week on week because exactly what you said is that I think that initially people were just in crisis mode. There wasn't even time. I mean, because people were trying to manage crisis, their concern was PPE, their safety for themselves, for their families. Um, and it's only now, you know, as things have started to ease off, that there's a kind of a, I need to process what's been, what has been happening. So we're seeing an increase each week in people accessing. Okay. And is it over the phone? Is it a video call? Is it face-to-face? It's, it's, well, it's not face-to-face. Okay. But it's uh, whatever works for the person. So it might be on the phone, WhatsApp, Zoom. It's whatever works most comfortable. Yeah, most comfortable. Uh, and for some of us, you know, we don't feel comfortable with technology. Phone is perfect. A lot of coaching is done on the phone. Uh, obviously, a huge amount now is done online. Um, so it's whatever is going to work for the, the, the frontline worker who's accessing it. And again, there's nobody they have to go through. It's literally straight onto the site. There's no forms to be filled. There's nobody to get approval from. It's completely confidential, obviously with the caveat if they say they're going to do harm to themselves or somebody else. Um, but it is completely confidential. Well done. Well done. It's, it's, as I say, I said at the outset, it's a, it's a wonderful initiative. And how many pro- uh, professional coaches have signed up? So we had uh, the first group of coaches, we had 22 on, on the site. And we've just literally switched over now to another 20 coaches that are on the site. And the first group will come back after eight weeks and the next group will come back again. So we, we were very conscious of making sure that the coaches were resourced, that they, because the work we were obviously aware it could be intense, all the coaches have professional supervision. We have volunteer professional coach supervisors, and the supervisors are professionally supervised. So we've made sure that everybody in this is resourced because that's what's most important right now for everybody to be at their best and to do their best. Okay, and do coaches, uh, I take it they're based all over the country. I mean, the fact it's over the phone or online, it doesn't matter where they are, but are they all over the country? Absolutely, all over the country yeah. as the supervisors. Okay, yeah. okay. and your, your work during, outside of this great voluntary initiative that you're doing, how has your work been affected by COVID-19? Well, um, it's definitely reduced, I and mean, I would say probably for most people right there who've got uh, their own businesses as, as coaches, trainers, um, you know, because everybody was in crisis, a lot of organisations kind of had to just sort themselves out and kind of get people out working from home. Um, so definitely a, a reduction. Um, I'm a coach supervisor as well, so that has kept up and I train people to become professional coaches. So I've been busy transferring the course I deliver, which is a, an international coach federation programme online. So I've been busy. <laughs> I've been busy between Connect to Coach and setting all of that up. And you were busy, and then you decided to operate Connect to Coach as well. So well done. Yeah, well done you. All right, Alva. Listen, thank you for that. And uh, just once again, remind anyone who is a frontline worker who would like to access what you're offering, which is free of charge for forty-five minute sessions, how they can do it. They go on to connectacoach.org and they literally click on to whatever coach they 
take a liking to and straight away they're into their calendar, they book a session and they have access to four 45-minute sessions that are free. Excellent, excellent. Listen, continued uh, good luck, uh, Alva, and uh, thanks a million for joining us. Thanks so much. Uh, thanks. Bye-bye. That is Alva Harrington of uh, Connect to Coach, 1850 I've just seen a text in from a listener saying, but, uh, Patricia, do you know if the pandemic unemployment payment is going to be extended? It's meant to end at the 8th, uh, it's meant to the 8th of June. Yes, it is definitely being extended. Now, I know there is talk from Regina Doherty that there are changes to the 350 euro pandemic payment. Uh, it's going to be tabled at the government. They're going to be discussing it uh, this week. 64,000 people have returned to work. That's the real good news uh, story. But there are still 543,200 people who are receiving the COVID-19 uh, payment. Now, there's talks of it changing but certainly for now it is going to be extended with the expiry date is next Tuesday. It certainly is going to be extended as to what's going to go ha- happen going forward. I don't know but for people who are panicking thinking it's going to end on the on the 8th of June uh, it's not and I know Regina Doherty was saying yesterday that the peak demand for the payment has passed and you know it was online with the flattening of the COVID-19 uh, curves so less people are certainly applying for it but it, it, will, it will be extended but are they still going to continue to pay it out to people who are working part time I don't know I mean that's I think all still has to be sorted out but it will certainly be extended by, beyond the 8th of June uh, eight, within, I, I'm assuming a decision to be announced this week 1850 Bernie and Sadie are taking your calls keep your gardening questions coming into us please Peter will join us after half past 12 today you can text her WhatsApp 0862 103 103 Mary says Patricia this is when we were talking about connect to coach and professional coaches available for frontline workers and they're offering these uh, free four 45 minute sessions which obviously are done on either over the phone or you can do a Zoom call or a WhatsApp call whichever suits you. Mary said does anybody ever consider shop workers and uh, supermarket staff as uh, frontline uh, workers and I think Mary I certainly do and I think a lot of people consider shop workers and supermarket staff they've very much been frontline workers during this COVID-19 uh, crisis they're the ones who turned up every single you know day in day out for work I mean remember back in the very early days when there was panic buying going on and even the way we do shopping today has changed so much and there is a sense of nervousness on behalf of shop workers as well because they're dealing with the general public and they don't know if the person coming in that who they're serving, they don't know if that person has COVID-19 or not. If you think Mary that you you could do with the services of a professional coach then you know I would go on to their, to their connect to coach uh, .org that's their website and you can click uh, you can click on it because there's no questions asked as to as to the type of work you're doing or what you're doing if you think that you you know you do deem yourself a frontline worker and you think that they can be of use to you because it said I mean the in the initial email that we got in from the professional coaches they were saying it isn't just medical staff they were talking about admin staff I mean we've mentioned funeral uh, directors there's a whole host of different people have become frontline workers I know we traditionally think of frontline workers as the health staff but I think in this certainly in this in this COVID nineteen crisis, uh, frontline uh, workers come in many many different uh, guises. And to quote Leo Radker, not all superheroes wear capes. A uh, couple of people commenting on Luke Ming Flanagan and the fact that he was sitting on was he on his bed on that Zoom call to the EU conference. And uh, some people are saying that's not the way uh, an elected representative of, of this country should be representing uh, Ireland. And there are pictures 
papers all over the papers today of Luke Ming Flanagan. He is shrugging off the criticism after he joined an EU conference call with just, he has a shirt on him all right, but then he's got a tight fitting pair of running shorts on. But when you look at some of the pictures that are on the papers today, it looks like he's just sitting there in his underpants and he just put a shirt on, but that he's only got his underpants on. But it seems he does have a pair of running shorts on. And what had happened was he had joined this video conference call with the other members of the committee. And it was when he was given the floor to either ask or respond to a question by the committee chair. Uh, He was, the camera panned to him and obviously then went on the screen for everybody else to see. And he appears to be sitting uh, sitting on his bed with a shirt and only a pair of underpants on. But he laughed off the incident afterwards on social media because obviously it went viral on social media and he said he was just back from a run. Uh, He said, I hope you liked my legs, was what he joked about on Twitter. It was the Agriculture Committee's long-term budget debate and uh, Mr Luke Ming Flanagan was rubbing the outside of his upper thigh and he said, we read in some European newspapers how this money will be broken down state by state. Where can MEPs get definitive information on this rather than reading it second hand from the European journalists? That's the question that he was asking. When the camera came back to the chairman, he was seen smiling while his translator was heard, heard trying to hold back laughter. And then the video started circulating on uh, Twitter when asked by the Irish Daily Mail if it was a fitting way to represent Ireland. Luke Ming Flanagan replied, I represent my constituents well. I would have not got re-elected otherwise. And then he then went on to explain, I was just back from a run at the beginning of the meeting. I threw on a shirt and I waited for my turn to uh, speak. But I can see some of our listeners don't think it was an appropriate and a fitting way to represent the country. He should have put on his trousers. So your thoughts are welcomed on that. 1850-333-103. And let's stay overseas with some of our thought patterns because Michael is on about President Trump and says Patricia hi listening to President Trump and his speeches to the American people his promises and his rhetoric are as authentic as speeches made at a wedding breakfast to quote Nobel Prize winner all conflict is about the same thing no matter where it is it's about difference whether the difference is your religion your race or your nationality this is all about racism and their president a reality TV entertainer is sadly fueling it by addressing them the American people to say he will bring in the military to quell them innocent peaceful protesters in the past few days American people were queuing for three to four hours to buy guns for their protection as they're anticipating civil unrest. I've received a photograph which Michael has sent me on by WhatsApp yesterday afternoon from the States and it is actually a picture from a gun shop in Pennsylvania and there is a massive queue. Because actually when I opened it and saw the picture I thought it was people queuing to get into a supermarket or I thought when it was coming from America maybe it was people queuing for food stamps but they're queuing to go in and buy guns in Pennsylvania. This is a long, Michael says in his text, this is a long way 
a long way from being over yet. It's over for President Trump. He will be a one-term president, but look at the trail of destruction he has left worldwide. It's well documented. It's well documented. However, out of all disasters comes some good, says Michael. What do IBM, Disney and Microsoft all have in common, apart from being very reputable business names with a strong brand recognition? Well, Michael tells us they all started during times of recession. So hopefully some good uh, will come out of it. But that's a shocking photograph of a gun shop in Pennsylvania and the amount of people queuing outside. You would have to worry, would you not, for the good people of uh, America. Goodness me. And of course, because of what happened in America and that death of that poor man, uh, George Floyd, there has been protests held all over the world, including one in Dublin, but not everyone is happy with the one that was held in Dublin because of the number of people that turned out for, from it. And Tony Houlihan, our own Dr. Tony Houlihan, also worried about it because there wasn't much social distancing going on. Uh, John said that recent march in Dublin to the US Embassy was crazy. Uh, all of the people there totally ignoring social distancing. The organisers who were known to guard these should be charged and brought before the courts. Remember, 20 people can, inf- can infect. 200,000 people no, 20 people can infect 20,000 people in 50 days says John and well I know I mentioned it earlier I know there was talks in the I don't know if I kept that piece in the paper or not I saw it in the paper earlier there are talks of the guard the uh, going after the people who organised the protest and uh, because certainly it was breaching well, well the people attending breached social distancing but it also goes against we're not allowed mass gatherings in this country it's the reason that so many things have been uh, cancelled so I know as I say, the Gardaí are due to talk to the organisers. So we'll, as they say, watch this space. We'll see what comes out uh, from that. OK, also coming into us uh, over the over texts. Let me go to some of your texts that are coming in. A lot of, a lot of questions coming in for Peter. Uh, thank you for that. On dining out, and this is dining outside, when we were talking about Kinsale and their plan to come back after the the crisis and one of the points that I made to the councillor Councillor Maria O'Sullivan was about outside dining and there's a lot of people calling for it that if restaurants and cafes can't have enough people inside and particularly with the fine weather we've, we've been having why not allow for tables and chairs outside of premises so that people can dine outside. And I also think people will feel probably a little less nervous eating outside than eating inside in what may be a crowded crowded cafe, people might feel. Because if you look at any of the expert advice when it comes to COVID-19, there's less chance of it spreading outside than there is in a very crowded situation. But Tim C, as he signs his name, uh, not a fan of dining out. He said outside dining will be worse than the appeal for donations to remedy contaminated water in Africa. Dine with a natural sprinkling of dust, writes Tim on your salad, and inhale the lovely aroma of diesel as commerce goes on all around you. At big stores in Cork and Middleton, there are delays of 20 minutes, at least in a queue. Mail order will take over, the town centres will be empty and the Greens will be delighted, says Tim. And you really paint a bleak picture for the centres of our towns. I hope we never get to that. Certainly online shopping has increased, but I still think there's nothing like going in 
to your local shop, your local store. I think for, for ladies, for trying on clothes and seeing clothes and feeling the clothes and looking at items, I think there's nothing like, you know, browsing around trying to make your mind up. So hopefully, hopefully it won't be the end of uh, town centres. And, you know, I don't know, I think you're wrong on the, the dining al fresco. Look at all the other countries. I mean, any other country, particularly any of the warmer countries, they do wonderful dining outside and there's equally as much cars and dust and whatever else travelling around and we never complain about it when you go on a continental holiday people sit outside all the time and nobody's complaining about dust in their salad or inhaling the lovely aroma of diesel uh, Tim I uh, hope you're having a good day 1850 also coming into us about the march that happened in, in Dublin and ones that they're talking about somebody organising one for Cork and there's, there's one for Limerick as well listener says I'm afraid if the anti-racism march goes ahead next weekend in Cork and if it turns out to be anything like the one that was held in Dublin last weekend will we not be back to where we started it'll be like another punishment to all of the people that have been abiding by the laws and only went out doing essential shopping all of those people that stayed indoors and uh, cocooned will they be the ones to suffer again says a texter who was worried about any sort of march has been uh, organised. And on Age Action and the Hardship Fund, some reaction on that. Uh, hi Trish and ladies, that's our, our Bernie and Sadie. I applied for that Hardship Fund. I've applied for at the cost of a freezer for my mam and dad. I applied on the 21st of April. I got an automatic reply but I've heard nothing since. I've ended one putting a one putting away one myself locally and paying weekly on it and if my memory serves me right that was from a listener who contacted us who was batch baking food for her her mum and dad and the freezer broke and she wanted the idea of doing the dinners up once a week and then getting them into the freezer and then mum and dad uh, and I'm open to correction but I think that's probably the same lady who contacted us and I said that's absolutely what that hardship fund is all about and you were right to apply for it. I have had an answer back from Age Action so hold there because somebody was on to say there was a note on the Age Action form to say it'll be August before it is all sorted out so I don't think my reading of it is they haven't paid out the money yet that is from Mary where we've just had a response back but it's an automatic response back on the hardship fund from Age Action but it very much answers the question that we sent in to them. They say there was an overwhelming number of applicants for the hardship fund so much so that they had to close the hardship fund. So any application or query that they had received on or before Friday the 24th of April and let me look our listeners said she sent it off on where is it gone there's so many texts in there it was on the 21st, wasn't the 21st? So yours was, was certainly been in by the 24th of April. Uh, they're processing those. They say, we currently do not have the resources to check the status of individual applicants. There is a backlog, but all applications received within the application timeframe will be reviewed and the applicants will be contacted to advise if their application has been successful or not. So to that listener who's paying off for her mum and dad's freezer and what a lovely, kind thing you are doing, you may still get the money, which would be fantastic because you get your money back and you can pay it off uh, quicker uh, as well. Uh, so don't, so it, it's not gone yet. They still haven't 
sent out all of the money yet or they're, they're working through it so you may still hear from them yet but I'm assuming you'll hear from them one way or the other whether your application it says on it you'll hear if your application has been successful or not and that's the same for John in Blackpool who kicked it off because he's waiting as well I think it was the cost of an iPad what, is what he was going for so that he could just stay connected uh, during his uh, period of isolation so that it's still to be paid out uh, 1850 Hi Trish, do you have any information or does anybody know why for the past couple of days there's been a lot of little power cuts in the Kilworth area? I, I, we certainly haven't been hearing about a little power cuts in the Kilworth area. We'll have to get onto the ESB networks because they are the ones that are responsible if there's something wrong and you know if there's a power cut it's the ESB and networks does anybody else in the Kilworth area we'll, we'll send an email off to ESB networks and see if we can get an answer for you but in the meantime we often have listeners who know exactly what the answer to the question is so we'll, we'll give it out Kilworth area anybody, well, obviously if you're living there you've been noticing there's been on power, power going on and off uh, in the last couple of days does anybody know what's going on 1850 people travelling to the beach and travelling outside of their five kilometres Texter says in regards to the beach we were at the Warren in Roscarbury yesterday what a beautiful place to have been yesterday it was such a glorious day anyways is this Texter there was hundreds of people there the car park was full of cars there wasn't a space on the beach I know the weather was very fine but there was a lot of strangers there why are they allowing the car parks to remain open on the beaches surely that's an invitation for crowds to come well I know last weekend some of the car parks obviously the Warren wasn't included some the decision was taken all over the country but it did include Cork to close some of the car parks to stop people going and I know the message that Neffet the, and the health experts say if you go to an area and you discover that it's too crowded, they say go home and or go somewhere else. Um, beaches, they and even though there's been pictures on the paper of very crowded beaches, like beaches are big enough that people should be able to spread out. And shame on somebody if somebody is down on the beach and has put out their towel and has set up their camp. Shame on somebody who comes and puts their towel and there sets up camp uh, beside them. And I think you're well within your rights to say could you move to a different part uh, of the beach. So I don't know. This sister reckons there was no space on the beach. Uh, there was just simply too many people there so I don't know whether this listener went home or, home or not or went to find a found to, to go to another beach instead but I know that certainly is the advice coming from the health experts don't stay somewhere where you feel there are too many people which is going to make you feel a little bit uncomfortable and a little bit nervous and hi Patricia as an old age pensioner on a basic pension uh, and students who don't know what it is like to work and some and many of them are getting €350 Euro a week in the COVID-19 payment. How fair is that? No wonder they are out partying. And I mentioned the COVID-19 payment is due to finish next Tuesday but we know it hasn't been extended yet but we know from Regina Doherty she says it will be extended they're just waiting on the government to discuss it this week a number of people are saying if they're going to make any changes to the COVID-19 payment they certainly should be looking at the amount that uh, students are getting giving 300 it was one texter giving 350 euro to a student who was only earning 100 euro a week in a part-time job before the pandemic happened is absolutely crazy and as a country we can't afford it 
1850 Sadie and Bernie taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. And a reminder to you, especially if you were a fan of Normal People, you might have watched the last two episodes last night, that Paul Meskell, the lead star, uh, who plays uh, Connell Waldron in the TV series uh, Normal People, has donated a personal chain to raise funds through a raffle for Pieta House. Uh, the, it, the, starting at €10 Euro and for a €10 Euro donation you get 10 entries. Tickets are on sale and remain on sale until next Monday the 8th of June. You can log on to our own Cork Di- Diary section on our website c103.ie and follow the link or you can go to gorallyup.com chain for Pieta. The raffle then takes place on Monday the 8th at uh, 3pm. And a used clothes collection for Gagan Hall Car Park will take place in Gagan Hall. It's next Monday and they're starting to collect clothes from 7pm next Monday uh, evening in the hall. Please get your items for donation ready. They're looking for all types of used clothes, bags, shoes, belts, bedding and curtains. Good quality soft toys but please no du- duvets, no pillows and no large plastic toys. And Kilbrin Parish are holding a collection of perishable goods and baking and baking for Cork Penny Dinners on Sunday the 14th of June. Monetary donations also will be very welcome. If you'd like to donate, please drop off your items at Kilbrin GAA Clubhouse between 10am and 1pm and that's on Sunday the 14th of June. Record today on C103. Call Patricia with your comment. 1850-333-103. And someone earlier was asking about a hosepipe ban um, with regard to Peter Dowd, who's going to be joining us, by the way, in a couple of minutes. Somebody's worried about their garden and um, are we going to see a hosepipe <clears throat> Are we going to see a hosepipe ban? Bearing in mind that we have had wonderful, wonderful warm weather and we've had little or no rain. And even the bit of rain that fell this morning and last night was was a tiny amount indeed. And looking at the weather forecast, while there is some rain expected, there isn't a large quantity of uh, rain. And it seems that water supplies serving a quarter of a million people are already in drought, are on the verge of drought as this prolonged dried spell continues. Irish Water are warning that shortage is the shortage is worse now than when restrictions were introduced during the summer drought of 2018. You remember the scorching summer that we had in 2018? The utility expects to announce a formal water conservation order, that's a hosepipe ban, and they're expecting to do that within the next fortnight, but they're holding off because they're hoping that conditions may improve. After what's been the driest spring on record, in many parts of the country and God knows we're all thankful for that with lockdown that it was the driest record in, in, in since records began. Um, it's And we've had a good start to the summer. Met Aaron has said no significant rainfall is expected anytime soon. So nighttime restrictions, they're already in place on the Aran Islands. They're already in, in some parts of Galway, some parts of Tipperary and they're already in place in West Meath. There are of course major concerns over the water supplies in in Donegal and also in uh, Wicklow but it's the greater Dublin area is the one where they are most worried about. That's likely to be hit with a hosepipe ban first as the region's water usage has rocketed. 
during lockdown. Now, Irish Water said the surge in demand on last Saturday alone was the equivalent of having an extra 200,000 people in the city. There was just a huge... If you think about it, Saturday was an absolutely glorious day. I've taken many people, more and more people were out in the garden. People were using hose pipes. People were filling up swimming pools and paddling pools uh, for children. Gardeners were making sure that their gardens weren't going without water and I'm assuming that's what led to the demand. Now, a major worry is the anticipated added demand when businesses emerge back from lockdown next week because deep cleaning is going to be required before opening and, and obviously ongoing additional cleaning there more so than the businesses did before COVID-19 so they're going to need extra water as well conditions now are even more challenging than that historic drought that we mentioned which ran from July to the end of September in 2018. The ground in most places is drier now with a soil moisture deficit of 80 millimetres compared to 60 millimetres in July of 2018 and I'm sure some scientists out there all of that makes sense. Raw water sources are falling quicker than they did in 2018 and referring to the drought indicator Irish Water said the standard participation index would indicate that we are at lower levels than we were in 2018. I suppose they're benchmarking everything against what happened in 2018 and what they did and what they had to do and is that what they're going to have to do going forward. Now domestic demand which is two thirds of national demand is also higher than it was in 2018 but that's got a lot to do with we're living in a very different world to what we were living in in 2018. For a start we've got all of the people who are at home who are working at home people whose jobs are temporarily gone because of COVID-19 they're all at home. Because of the warm weather we've got more people out doing gardening because they've got more free time on their hands and then let's be honest there is increased hand washing we're constantly telling people uh, to wash their hands and there's also increased cleaning going on so obviously all of that is using more water a hose pipe ban if it does come in it prohibits non-essential use of water so hosing the garden would be gone washing your cars would be gone or any other larger items they would be saying to people please do not fill up paddling pools do not fill up oriental ponds if they're already filled fine but don't be uh, filling them up and during the 2018 restrictions Irish Water received dozens of weekly reports of people flouting the regulations and they ended up having to make calls to advise householders that they were in breach you can actually be fined but back in 2018 uh, nobody was uh, fined and uh, and I know if I was to open the phone lines about water breakages I'd probably have people saying that there's a burst pipe somewhere we need to make sure that there's no burst pipes and people in their own homes need to make sure they don't have leaky or dripping taps or all of that but I suppose we can all do our bit and make sure back to what we did in 2018 you know make sure we should be doing this all the time when you're brushing your teeth don't have the tap uh, running and even when we're all washing our hands a lot a lot more but once you get your hands wet and put on the soap and you're lathering up your hands you don't have to have them constantly under the tap so there's ways we can all do our, our bit as well and if you have a garden and you need to water it there's ways to water from the sink that we can all be using we can all do our bit 1850 let's take a break and then we'll come back and chat with Peter Dowdle answering your gardening questions. Record today on C103. Text or WhatsApp Patricia with your comment. 086 2103 103. I'm Peter Dyer of the Joining me. Good afternoon to you, Peter. Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. A little bit of a respite today, but it's meant to be sunny this afternoon. Supposed to 
be, yeah. And we've had an absolutely glorious week since we last spoke, haven't we? It's been yeah. like living in the Mediterranean. It's been, it's been terrific, but I mentioned, because a couple of listeners asked me to ask you about it, the possibility that there's going to be a hosepipe ban, and I was talking about Irish Water. They are expecting uh, to introduce a hosepipe ban, firstly in Dublin, but it could be extended around the country, because Met Aaron is saying there's no significant sign of any rain on the way. If there is a hosepipe ban, what does it do for the gardens? Well, it depends. If we get the, the summer of was it two or three years ago, do you remember those record-breaking temperatures? And we had, we had, I think, four or five months with little or no rain. That 2018. Year, 2018, yeah. yeah. And if we get something similar this year, I mean, it will have an effect, but it, we should all be, you don't need me preaching from the pulpit, but we should all be obviously conserving our rainwater anyway. We should have rainwater busts. Um, so if if we could, those of us that are that are harvesting rainwater will be will be smugly smiling at the rest, and I don't include my myself in that. I mean, I'm not really, um, but those those that are harvesting their own rainwater will will certainly be smiling smugly at their neighbours as the gardens are are going brown and drying around them. Um, so yes, I mean it's hard to say, obviously, because who knows? This is Ireland in two weeks' time. We could be giving out about the rain. Yeah. But uh, as of now, yes, this weather continues. It is going to have a, a, an effect. One thing you can do to reduce, like when you're in a situation like this, you can use plants that are suited to these conditions, in other words, drought-resistant plants. So a lot of alpines and succulent plants will be drought-resistant. Also, a lot of plants with silver and grey leaves. Science isn't 100% sure as to why it works, but the the grey and silver leaf plants uh, tend to to lose water through transpiration less than green leaf plants, and so they tend to be better for periods of drought. And the last thing you can do is just mulch around your plants because you're, then you're reducing water loss from the soil through evaporation. So just mulch with the bark or even homemade compost, anything just to just to kind of, you know, put that barrier over the soil to, to lessen the amount of water. That's a good idea. That's good. And then I was mentioning the point, you know, waste water out of your sink, you know, get smart Absolutely. with how you're using your water. Yeah, grey water as it's referred to, Trish. That's, a, that's absolutely ideal. It's not ideal for, for us humans, obviously, for washing or drinking, but it's perfect for the garden. So, so old dishwasher, anything like that can be used in the garden. Yeah. OK, let's get straight into uh, a huge amount of questions. We won't get to all of them, but we'll do our best. Helen in Bishopstown, could you ask Peter? She has holes in her hydrangea leaves and the flowers of her clematis, Nelly Mosa. What could be eating them? She can't see anything obvious and the roses haven't been affected at all. Even if you can't see anything obvious, it's still most likely slugs, uh, and you don't you don't always see them obviously unless you're you're actually standing guard twenty four seven. But um, so I would use a good organic uh, slug pellet, one containing ferric phosphate. I've often mentioned the bad guys in your program, Trish. That's the slug pellets containing metaldehyde. Please don't use them because while they are toxic to the slugs, they're also toxic to surrounding wildlife, birds, hedgehogs, even domestic pets, and even us humans. So certainly don't use slug pellets containing metaldehyde. Uh, particularly if you're using using them around edible plants, certainly don't. They're banned in a lot of countries, but unfortunately still freely available in Ireland. So an organic slug pellet, one containing ferric phosphate, are used slug traps. You fill a little slug trap with beer, Trish, and the, the slug is attracted, mm. and that will kill them. And there are barrier products, but I, I would suspect from, from the holes in the hydrangeas and the clematis flowers, most likely slugs. It could be a caterpillar, but more likely to be slugs. Oh, and you've just answered Catherine, who on WhatsApp wants to know, could you know what slug pellets are safe for birds? So yes, any of the organic ones? Any yeah. of the, okay, and stay with Helen in Bishopstown, because her wisteria is almost finished flowering. Can she cut it back now? And if so, how hard? And the clematis montana finished flowering. Can she cut that back as well? 
Well, the Clement Montana, yes, absolutely, and it's a stunner. Just finished, well, I suppose it's finished flowering in my own garden about two weeks now at this stage, but it was absolutely magnificent. It just does the heart good to see it in full bloom. So, yeah, and there's a, there's a very technical way to, to cut back the clematis, and we call it hacking. So hack it back now. It's not technical at all. Cut it back as hard as you want. Uh, and it, it produces an early flowering clematis, so it produces next year's flowers on growth that is produced this year. So the sooner you cut it back, the more growth you'll have and the more flowers you'll have next year. The later you cut it back, the more more risk you have of removing next year's flowers. It do it sooner rather than later. The wisteria, I'd leave it another, another few days, maybe a week or so, just get the last bit of colour out of it. Uh, you can cut it back then, only if it needs it, I'd suggest. And what you're doing is it's not quite as 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 uh, wanton, if you like, as it would be with the clematis. So you do identify your main stems on the wisteria. And then you reduce the, the shoots that come off that. They'd be the side shoots and the flowering shoots. Reduce them. It's hard to describe it over the radio, Trish, but if you identify your main shoots that are running along the side of the wall or the building or whatever it is, uh, and then if you look at the, 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 the growth and the stems that are coming off those main shoots, well, reduce those side ones to about six or eight inches from each main one. Uh, it will then produce more growth this, this, uh, this spring and summer, or this summer, so you give it a light trim back again then around September, October. But for now, just keep it in check. Cut it back to within about eight inches of, of the main shoot, the main oh. stem. Okay, Carmela has emailed us to say, uh, uh, Hi Peter, I've recently switched from using a petrol lawnmower to a robo mower and I've never seen so many buttercups on the lawn as of present. I'm wondering, is it normal when using a robo mower and if so, how do I tackle this new weed problem? Thank you, okay. Carmela. First of all, first of all, no, it's 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 not normal, and it's purely coincidental. I would say that you're using the robo mower and that this has happened. Second thing is, it's not a weed; it's a buttercup. It's gorgeous, it's lovely. Well, um, when I saw Carmela's email, the first thing I've I've noticed this year more than ever, I've got buttercups on my lawn. Never seen so many buttercups. I have seen them everywhere, and I too. think they're a joy. They're beautiful. Yeah. I think. So, how do you tackle the weed? If you look at it as a weed. I, as I've always said, I was only thinking the other day, Tricia, we've been doing this piece with you for over 20 years, yeah. I believe that. Yeah. Uh, and I remember back back then, I used to say kind of tongue-in-cheek and I'd nearly be embarrassed to say, you know, learn to love the weed. But now I'm not. I'm kind of screaming it from the rooftops. Don't be embarrassed. Don't don't be afraid to, to recalibrate our, our perception on what is beautiful. Um, so I love looking at buttercups and daisies now and dandelions in the lawn. I see them as kind of life-sustaining because they're keeping the bees going. I just see them as beautiful. Um, so le- the, the lecture is over. So if you can <laughs> see them as beautiful, great. But if you can't and if you still see them as a weed, really the only thing to do with buttercups is to get out there, I'm afraid, by hand. And there is no magic wand. There are chemicals out there. But we, as far as I'm concerned, the discussion on using them is finished. We cannot use these garden chemicals because we're doing far too much damage. And if this microscopic molecule, which is traveling the world and has stopped the world over the last few months, has taught us anything, it's taught us the importance of everything in the natural world. So we can't randomly go out blanket bombing the lawn with, with chemicals that are going to damage things. So I'm afraid the only way to deal with it is to get out there by hand and, and get it out. It, it, it's, it, you will get it. You will get on top of it. It is going to be a bit of work. But you know what? There's great therapy in that work. And don't be afraid of it. Get down the hands and knees, get a hand trowel, a hand fork, dig them out. It'll take you a few hours or maybe a few days, depending on the size of the lawn. But you will get it out uh, and then you will have a perfect lawn again. Our, our Lord to love the buttercups instead. Right, there you go. Breida in Yall has an orchid. What do you suggest she feeds it with? It is flowering. She has it now for one year. Well, she 
she's done well keeping it for years. So I would say what what what, she, what Rita is doing is to, to keep at it. Once the flowers finish on the orchid, and I'm guessing it's what we call a, a phalaenopsis or the moth orchid, um, which are the ones that you'd often see as house plants in garden centres and, and supermarkets, and they really are gorgeous, gorgeous house plants. So when the flower dies, just don't remove the whole stem down to ground level. If you follow that stem down a bit, you'll see uh, what's called a node. It looks like a little kind of, I don't know how you describe it, it kind of looks nearly like a band-aid around halfway around the stem, a natural band-aid. So that's a node, and it's at that node that another flower shoot will be produced from. So you just cut back as far as that node. Water it as Rita has been. So whatever way Rita has been doing it, continue that. Uh, stand it like in, a, in a, a bowl of water for about half an hour, maybe once a week, that kind of way. Let it take up what it needs and then, then take it away again. Uh, and maybe just a, just a shot of, I would use the Biogold, which is a house plant food. It's an Irish one, Biogold. And I find that very, very good. So a couple of drops of that uh, into, the, into the water and into, into the orchid. Maybe... I don't know, once a fortnight for the next few months and then leave alone again. Okay, John, in Boston, is it too late to plant cucumber seeds in a greenhouse? I'd say no. You're going on for being a bit too late, yes. But uh, the worst worst case scenario is you have cucumbers a bit late. You have the greenhouse. So I'm thinking of the other side of the earth, Rich, when the temperatures drop at the end of the summer. The fact that you're in a green, the, the fact that you have them in a greenhouse means that they, they should be protected from any frost. So it just, I would, Plant away. Do it Plant away. In no time at all now. Mary Amalo has geraniums since last year. They've gone what she describes as a bit leggy and untidy looking. Can she trim them back without doing any damage to the plants? Well, yes, you can. At this time of the year, you can. Um, I w- you do want to leave, if possible, some, some foliage below where you've cut. So in other words, if they've gone leggy, and I can picture them, I can imagine them because it happens to all of us. So if you cut back below the foliage to ground level, you'll probably very possibly kill them. So... If you just cut back to the bottom leaf on each stem, then that will encourage more greenery and more leaves below that, and then you can cut it back a bit harder at that point. Sean in Castletown Bear, uh, he is putting down mulch on a vegetable patch. Is it likely to stunt the growth of the vegetables? He is going to plant spinach and kale. Well, it depends what he's using as a mulch. Um, no, the answer really is no. And I mean, mulch will be one of the one of the, the things that I would recommend, uh, uh, as as I did at the start, in terms of retaining water or, or slowing down water loss through evaporation. It's also obviously your your most organic weed control around vegetables. It's not going to stunt them, but I would look at using a very fine mulch. You can use, as I say, homemade compost as a mulch. Don't use gravel. I would say on a vegetable patch that would stunt them or could stunt them. But uh, if you're using a bark as a mulch, try and make sure that there's a super fine bark out there. It's from Growwise. And they do a very, very fine bark. It's nearly soiled. So that's brilliant because it's not too coarse or too big to, to interfere with any of the seeds, the veg seedlings. And it'll break down into good humus for the soil very quickly as well. And gorgeous spinach and kale. It'll be fantastic oh. when it's grown, yeah. Sean. Um, and in for Moy, when is the best time to take cuttings from a laurel hedge? And when can she prune her camellia? Just before I do that, talking about spinach and kale, I have to give a quick shout out to the, the very good people in uh, Brown Envelope Seeds down there by Skibbereen, uh, uh, Madeleine McKeever and, and Holly Cairns. Uh, they, they very kindly sent me up some seeds last year, which I only got around to sowing this year, and I have been enjoying the most delicious organic salad leaves and oh. beetroots. I'm beginning to enjoy the beetroots, but I've been having salad leaves throughout this lockdown. I've been having the fresh. So thank you very much, and they're, 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 they're gorgeous. Uh, and in fact, Brown Envelope are the only people who do... Um, Irish, genuinely Irish uh, organic vegetable seeds in the country so fabulous down there. But anyway, moving on to the next question, Trish, sorry, did you say it to me again? Uh, it was a when to cut back a laurel when to take cuttings from a laurel hedge and when to cut back a camellia. Okay. Uh, you could 
would say cuttings from the laurel hedge, I would say give it another few weeks, so the end of this month uh, onwards to the end of August, uh, take four or six inches of this year's growth. Make sure again that you're at the base of the cutting is at a node, so that the, where the leaf meets the stem, that's the, the node. Remove the bottom pairs of leaves, just leaving just one, pa- one leaf or one pair of leaves at the top of the cutting, which, as I say, about four to six inches into a bit of rooting powder and compost, and they'll root away in no time at all. So just about two or three weeks on, the end of this month onwards, I would say, and cut back a camellia, do it straight away. The camellias flower on, on uh, sorry, the camellias will produce their flower buds this autumn, kind of July, August, September, for opening up next spring. So if you leave it till then to cut back or much later than where we are now, you will lose those flowers. So cut it back. Ideally, you'll probably have it done by now. Uh, a good rule of thumb is the day the last camellia is flower comes off, that's when you get out with the tectares and cut back. Hi, a gardening question. I have a large bush of wild blackberries in my new house. The berries are very hard and green. Is there anything I should be doing for them? It's a new house and I've never had a wild bush of blackberries before. There you go. They're <laughs> wild. Leave them off. They'll do their own thing. Nothing at all you need to do to them. Don't interfere with nature in this, in this one. Uh, and you'll have gorgeous blackberries. They'll rip the hand off you, of course, when yeah. you try to pick them because they're wild. Uh, but you will have gorgeous blackberries. Leave well alone. Don't go feeding. Don't go anything. They'll be absolutely fine. But you'll, you'll be waiting realistically, I suppose. It's August, really. Certainly late July. Yeah, before, before the, the Yeah, and then they'll be gorgeous. You've got big jam and everything with it. Oh, Question oh. for Peter. Re an old-fashioned climbing rose. Mine has gone... Mine has something like a white coating on the leaves. Should I do anything with them? They're growing mad. Do I cut it back a bit? They are behind a low entrance wall. Best thing to do there, Trish, I think, is to take a picture and send it in to yourselves. And I'll have a look at it or send it to myself on Facebook, The Irish Gardener, and I'll have a look at it. It's very possibly mildew, uh, and my advice then would be to, to remove as much of the infected growth as possible, hopefully it's not the whole plant, and then treat it with a drench of, of copper sulfate and water, uh, which is a good organic, broad-spectrum fungicide, and that will control it. Um, but do send us in a picture first, just to be sure. Hi, Peter. There are several new shoots growing from the base of my apple tree. They are woody and well-rooted. Do they need to be cut away, and if so, how? The woody and well-rooted, so that sounds like they're suckers, sucker growth, so they're coming from kind of below the soil as opposed to the, you know, as opposed to the trunk. So yes, if they're suckers, I would remove them. Uh, it's not rocket science, really. Ideally, ideally, what you need to do is kind of go under the ground a bit, find where the sucker is joined to the root and cut it down to that, at that point, just cut it at the root. Because the way apple trees are grown, Trish, is they're grafted on root stocks. So it's the, the, grafted, the root stock determines the overall vigor of, the, of the, the, the plant. So in other words, you could have a dwarfing rootstock or a semi-dwarfing or, or a large. So that will determine the overall height of the tree. And on that rootstock, you graft your variety. It might be Beauty of Bath or uh, Pink Lady or Granny Smith or whatever. So they all get grafted on the rootstock. And it's not the Granny Smith or the Pink Lady that determines the, the overall dimensions. It's the rootstock. So what hap- what's happening here is the growth from the root system is before it goes into the the grafted variety, if you understand what I mean, it's producing shoots, rootstock growth, which we don't want because that could be just a crab apple or a wild apple, beautiful in their own right, but that's not what you want in this situation. If you don't take action, uh, the graft eventually will fail and all the growth will go into the rootstock oh. and you'll be left with the crab apple again. Okay, so get rid of... Get rid of them, yeah. Get rid of Catherine in Dunmanway. My laurel hedging is shedding a lot of yellow leaves and as fast as I'm clearing them, any breeze, and there's as many again. It's covering my rockery at the back of my house and they're all over the backyard thanking you in advance. 
doesn't say how how old that hedge is, how established it is. I wonder if it's a new hedge. Uh, it sounds to me that like drought, believe it or not, like that laurel is, is a pretty foolproof hedge. They do suffer from fungal infections, certainly. If it's a new hedge, and what I when I say the word new there, I mean if it's within the last three years, uh, I would say just, again, water, water, water. But if we are going to be faced with this hose pipe ban, uh, mulch it, get out there with a mulch now, mulch around the base of the plants to try and conserve and retain water. If it's an established hedge and it's doing it all of a sudden, it's more likely to be perhaps a bit hungry or perhaps it is a fungal problem. Yellowing isn't normally a sign of a fungal problem. It's more likely to be a, a nutrient deficiency. It could be magnesium or nitrogen. I would get out there uh, if it's an established hedge and it's not just suffering from drought. Get out there with the Nature Safe uh, Atlantic Seaweed, the liquid feed. That's a Galway product. Um, and it's fabulous. It's made from cold-pressed seaweed from Galway, which means it's the best of the best. Get out there, find the nature-safe liquid Atlantic seaweed feed, treat the laurel with that, and that will do you no end of good. Okay, Pat in Mallow has an oak tree, 25 years old. This year, only about half the leaves formed. Some of the lighter branches appear to be dead. It has weed, block, and stone chippings around it. First of all, I don't like using weed blocks around any plants, I'm afraid, because that leads to the soil getting very, very compacted. And the magic that's happening in the soil beneath us is, is can't be you know, overstated or underestimated. There's, there's soil microbes, there's worms, there's everything doing their thing. And by putting a layer of plastic-type material over it, we're completely interfering with that. So the soil ends up getting compacted. I hate to say it, but that's very possibly what could have caused this problem. I can't say what the problem is without seeing it. I wouldn't hazard a guess without seeing it. Your best advice with a tree that age is get a tree surgeon to go have a look at it uh, and to accurately diagnose it, and they'll be able to tell you then whether pruning it uh, will fix it or whether it needs treatment. But I couldn't hazard a guess at that, I'm afraid, without without seeing it. Okay. All right, we'll leave it there. Before we do, uh, Philip wants to point out that today is St. Kevin's Day, who was a great man for nature. Uh, he is the patron saint of blackbirds, who are always a very I welcome very That's welcome visitor in the garden. There's a piece Could of I very briefly, yes, one thing, can... Trish, if I may. Uh, I, as you say, we probably didn't get to all the questions, and there's questions coming in hot and heavy to my Facebook page as well. And just an apology to everyone. I'm not, I can't physically, obviously, get to all of them, but I do my, do my best. And then very briefly, I am ordering my bulbs for the autumn at the moment and I'm selling some of them through the Irish Gardener online if you want to have a look because by buying them now bulbs are like a commodity Chris so the sooner we buy them the better prices we can get them so if I can order my bulbs now it's for delivery in the autumn we all get a better price and you can do that and that's on your Facebook page the Irish Gardener Okay, listen, have a great week and enjoy the sunshine. And thanks for that, as is uh, Peter Dowdle of the Irish uh, Gardener. Okay, that's where I, and our apologies that we didn't get to all of uh, your questions. I think he did uh, really well. Okay, that's where I wrap it up for today. Thanks to Bernie and to Sadie for taking the calls. Uh, And thanks to Bernie for working the last few days. John Paul is back with us tomorrow and I'll talk to you tomorrow morning at 10. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.